God's word together today. Let me, let me pray. Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are everything that we are not. You are full of grace and truth, and we're here to worship you. Lord, we confess our sins to you. The things we've said and done and thought and left undone. Lord, we thank you for grace. We thank you for truth. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time to be together. Lord, you know our needs. Meet our needs. Lord, as we open your word together, give me a voice and Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. May you move among us that as Christ is preached, that, that we would see lost people that are one and believers that are built, <coughs> workers that are equipped and disciple makers multiplied. Lord, we're praying for revival. That is our greatest need. Our land needs a spiritual awakening and it begins in your church. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, it's good to be here. Uh, my wife and I spent a week in Bartow watching our three grandkids. And I have returned believing that I am married to the most amazing woman in the world, Karen. Because I helped her watch three kids for a week and ended up sick and broken. And she raised six kids like all by herself and I came back and I said, you are the most amazing person I have ever, ever, ever met. Um, came back, been sick this past week and um, really glad to be here. Um, but, but I'm kind of sad too. And the reason I'm sad is this is our last week in Colossians. We have spent the previous seven months walking through this book together. And I, and I love this book because it's all about Jesus. So I want you to know that next week, we're going to have a hot topic. Uh, we're going to have a message on the sacredness of human life, because abortion seems to be a really big topic in our time. And we want to equip you to know what the Bible teaches about the sacredness of human life and also how to minister to grace to broken people. So that's what we'll do. And then following that, we're going to begin a new study in a book in the Old Testament called Malachi. It's going to be really, really, really good. But um, why have we spent, why have we spent uh, seven months walking through one book in the Bible? Um, and, and I want to show you why. Our point today really is, is our purpose as a church, which is to make disciples together. And what we're going to focus on particularly today is the together, the together. When Jesus made disciples, he didn't do it by himself, he did it together with others. And we're going to learn from Paul today that really to be a disciple and make disciples, we need Jesus and each other. And over the last seven months, if there's one thing I wanted to teach you, it's how to gaze at Jesus. To gaze at Jesus. If there are sins in your life that you would like to overcome, the greatest thing you can do is to have prolonged exposure to the person of Jesus Christ. Nothing frees us from sin like Jesus. If you would like a better marriage, the greatest thing you could do for your marriage 
is to gaze at Jesus because nothing changes a marriage like a prolonged exposure to the person of Jesus Christ. If you'd like a greater boldness in sharing your faith, nothing will give you greater boldness than learning to gaze at Jesus and have a prolonged exposure to the person of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to follow Jesus, if you'd like to be a disciple maker, then learn to gaze at Jesus. And particularly today, we're going to learn at how important it is that we gaze at Jesus together. Something happens when we open up his word and we gaze at Jesus together. So what we're going to do today, we're going to spend the first part of the message reviewing the first seven months of this year, and then we're going to land the plane. We're going to look at the last words in this book. It's been a great adventure. We learned that the first two chapters of Colossians is all gospel. It's all indicatives. It's not what we do for Jesus, but what he has done for us. So let's look at him together. Remember in Colossians 1 verse 15, we read that he is the image of the invisible God. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He's the image. He makes the invisible God visible. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's preeminent over all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. You go to the beach. Don't you see the wonder of God's creation? We worship him, right? You hold a baby. Listen, God made us. We're made in his image. We're made by him and for him. None of us are junk. We've been made by him and for him. He's our creator. And Jesus is not only our creator, he's our savior. We read the gospel in chapter 1. Remember in 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made through peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. You ever look at the world and say, why is it so broken? That's the bad news of the gospel, that our first parents, our first parents, they sinned against God, and that wrecked everything. And we've all followed in their footsteps. We've all sinned against God in thought, in word, in deed. And the God we've sinned against is just. And God says what we deserve for what we've done is hell, which is separation from God and from all good things. That's the bad news. But do you hear the good news? It was the Father's good pleasure. It pleased the Father for all the fullness to dwell in him. Who is Jesus? He's fully God and fully man. And through him to reconcile all things. Jesus came to undo all that sin had wrecked. He started that, and one day he'll finish that. So God the Son put on flesh and came to earth, having made peace through the blood of the cross. See, God is just. The penalty for sin is death. So Christ died in our place. He shed his blood for us. He took our sins upon himself and died in our place. Through the blood of the cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He took our sins. He died in our place. He was buried. The third day he rose, and he offers us eternal life. He offers to forgive our sins. He offers us the chance to do life and eternity with him, a chance to start all over in life and do both life and eternity with him. Wouldn't you like to? I mean, if you ever wish that you could start over in life, do you know you can? Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
The moment we believe we're forgiven of all of our sins and Jesus moves into us to make new things possible so that we can do life with him and then eternity with him. And what does he require of us? That we believe in him. See, if anyone is in Christ, and listen, believing in Christ is really as simple as A, B, C, where we admit and believe and commit. And if you've never done that, won't you do that today? Because one day it'll be too late. Listen, you can do that now, or I'll, I'll be glad to give you a chance as we close in prayer, but it starts when we admit Jesus is not just the world that's broken, I'm broken, I've sinned, and I'm sorry. And then we believe, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you died to reconcile me to God. Thank you. And then we commit, Jesus, come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. And I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be, won't you? And listen, if you have, do you see what this verse says? If you've put your faith in Christ, you're a new person. You are forgiven. Christ has moved in. New things have come. And when Jesus moves in, he, he says, follow me, follow me. And so who is the one that we follow? So we saw, remember when we were in chapter 3 or in chapter 2, verse 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know what would move us to follow Jesus? Is to believe that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know what a wise person is? A wise person is someone who believes that Jesus is wiser than I am. In our, in our very confused culture, how different would our lives be if we believed Jesus is wiser than I am? If I want to know what a woman is, or what a man is, or what marriage is, or the proper place for sex, I look to Jesus because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then as we continued on in chapter 2, we, we read in verse 9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and in him you've been made complete. Oh, when you get Jesus, you get it all. We're complete in him. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see, false teachers had come into the church in Colossae, and they were saying, believing in Jesus, that's important and all, but it's not enough. There's more. So if anyone ever tells you Jesus is not enough, remember that in, that in him we're made complete. And so we learned in chapters 1 and 2, it was all gospel. It was all gospel. We really weren't asked to do anything. It was all that Jesus has done for us. And then the book changed in chapters 3 and 4. And it's about gospel transformation. It's filled with imperatives where Jesus moves in and he says, follow me, follow me. And we've been learning. He's our model for life and ministry. And chapter 3 is all about how he's our model for life. I mean, we learn that when Jesus moves in and he looks in our closet, he says, listen, you need a wardrobe makeover. You need an extreme wardrobe makeover. There are these things that you used to put on. You need to put them off, remember? Remember we read in Colossians 3.8, but now you also... Put them all aside. You're a new person. Put aside anger, wrath. That's not who you are anymore. Malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. You're a new person. Throw out the old. And then 
He filled our closet with all these new clothes and encouraged us to put them on, right? Isn't this who we really want to be? So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Isn't that who we want to be? Kindness? Isn't that better than anger and malice? Humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Wow, put on forgiveness. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Put on love like Jesus. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Put on peace. And then we learn that Jesus has given us his word. So we're to put on his word, to let his word fill us. And we won't learn. Let the word of Christ rule in your heart in which you were called in one body and be thankful. And we learn that being filled with the word and being filled with the spirit produces the same thing because there's the word of Christ and there's the spirit of Christ. And the word reveals Jesus is true and the Holy Spirit is treasure. Look at him. Look at him. Don't you want to follow him? Isn't that who you want to be? And we learn that when the word of God fills us, it changes everything. It changes our worship, changes our marriage, changes our family, changes our work. Um, and then we moved from chapter 3 to chapter 4. You see, Jesus as our model for life. That's what chapter 3 was all about. But when we moved into chapter 4, that Jesus is our model for ministry. He wants us to join him. He wants us to join him in making disciples. And so we learned about ask evangelism, where we ask and seek and knock. Remember, we read in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Are there people you want to see come to faith in Christ? Pray. Keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up for us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Pray. Pray for open doors. Pray for boldness. Pray for wisdom. And then seek. Do what you can. Go where lost people are. Prepare. Share. Right. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with Saul, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Uh, and then last week, last week, Dean, he spoke and he introduced us to two of Paul's fellow workers. Paul wasn't making disciples along. He introduced us to Tychicus and Onesimus. And we learned last week that encouraged people encourage, right? And, and, and how Jesus is our model, how Jesus went up on the mountain to be encouraged, right? And then he came down to encourage others. And I don't know about you, but I've had a great time this week. Every day going up the mountain and being encouraged and then coming down to encourage others. So that's our review. Seven months of Colossians. And now we come to his last words. And I want you to know, we want to make disciples together because that's what Jesus did. And that's what Paul did. So Paul's going to introduce us to some of his disciple-making buddies. So starting in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Now, Aristarchus, his name appears five times in the New Testament. Three of them are in Acts. 
And one thing we learn about him was he was a fellow worker of Paul. Remember how Paul goes to Jerusalem and he gets arrested and they keep uh, delaying. So he says, I appeal to Caesar. So, so he starts this journey toward, journey toward Rome on this ship that would uh, shipwreck in Malta. So in Acts 27, we get to read that Aristarchus was with him as they're headed to Rome. See that? And embarking in an Adramitian ship, which was about to set to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out accompanied by Aristarchus of Macedonia. So when Paul shipwrecked on Malta and the snake bit him and he, Aristarchus was with him all the way. You know what really encourages workers, fellow workers, right? And not only was Aristarchus a, a fellow worker, but we see here in Colossians 4 that he was a fellow prisoner. So he was willing to suffer to advance the gospel. One of Paul's fellow disciple makers is Aristarchus. And also Barnabas's cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now we know him as John Mark. And I'm kind of surprised to see him here. And uh, some of you know why. On Paul's first missionary journey, remember Paul's first missionary journey? It was Barnabas and Paul went out. And as they got out a little bit, things got a little bit rough. And when things got a little bit rough, John Mark says, I'm out of here. And he left. And so when it came time for Paul's second missionary journalist, Barnabas said, let's bring John Mark alone. And Paul says, no way. The last time it got tough, he abandoned us. Let's not take him with us. And here are these two pillars of our church. We have, we have Barnabas and Paul, and they get in this huge fight. We're not the only Christians who can't get along. And you know what they did? They split. And Barnabas, Barnabas took uh, John Mark, and they went in one direction. And Paul found Silas, and they went in another direction. But somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, Paul and, and John Mark, they would reconcile. And we know this because in Paul's last letter, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark, John Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Would you bring John Mark? He is such an encouragement to me. Man, I tell you, doing, uh, being disciple makers with others, is so, we need each other to be encouraged, don't we? Paul sure did. Bring him to me to encourage me. Uh, and also Jesus who is called justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom who are in the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Jesus also named us Justice. Many people had two names, right? You had Cephas and Peter and Saul and Paul, so he was Jesus and Justice. This is the only time his name occurs in Scripture. What we know about him is he, along with Aristarchus and Mark, was a Christian Jew. We know, too, that he was an encouragement to Paul because he was a fellow worker, and his name is recorded in Scripture. It's pretty cool to have your name in Scripture, right? It's there forever, as long as it's in there for something good. Right? I mean, if I was to ask you, who's your favorite Bible character, who would you say? One of my favorite Bible characters is Eutychus. Eutychus. Anybody know who Eutychus is? Nobody? Oh, you're kidding me. 
See, one day Paul is preaching, and the Bible says he went on and on and on and on. And Eutychus is sitting in a window, and he fell asleep. And he fell out the window, and he died. <laughs> so his name is in Scripture for falling asleep in church. How would you like to be picked out for that? But don't fall asleep when, 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 when I preach, because I, I probably can't bring you back. But Paul raised him from the dead, okay? Or how about these other two ladies? If you read in uh, Philippi, there's these two ladies, Iodia and Syntyche. And you know what they're mentioned for? These two ladies can't get along. How would you like to have your name recorded in Scripture as someone who can't get along? But, but Justice was in here for something good. He's a fellow worker. He's an encouragement to Paul. And then we meet Epaphras, who is one of your number. You see, Epaphras was from Colossae. Now, Paul had never been to Colossians. Paul did not plant the church in Colossians. During Paul's second missionary journey, when Paul's in Ephesus, it's believed that uh, Epaphras went, heard the gospel, was discipled, went back to Colossae, planted the church. Many years later, Paul's in prison in Rome, and false teachers have come into the church, and they're infecting the church with false teaching. So, Epaphras travels 1,300 miles. Can you imagine how difficult it was in those days? I mean, you just didn't get on a plane and fly. And, and Epaphras loved the church so much, he traveled the 1,300 miles to tell Paul about the false teachers so that this apostle could help correct the false teaching. Epaphras, who is one of your number, notice what we learn about him. He's a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. And notice, always laboring earnest for you um, in his prayers. What is prayer? Is it not a labor of love? And this pastor loved his church, and so he labored over them in love and prayer. And isn't that what we see Jesus doing in John 17, laboring over the people that he loves in prayer? And isn't that what fathers and mothers do? Don't they love their children, and don't they labor over them in prayer? And isn't that what disciple makers do over those they disciple? And isn't that what small group leaders do over those they lead, that they labor over them in love? And that's how he prayed. I want you to see what he prayed for. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. He wanted them to know their identity in Christ. Remember when we had looked back in Colossians 2? Here's what, here's what he was praying. That they would understand that in Jesus they've been made complete so that nothing would sway them from that, that they would know that they are complete in Christ. That's what we mean when we love to say that Jesus plus nothing equals any, everything. That when you get Jesus, you get it all. So Epaphras, he loved his church. He prayed for his church. He prayed that they would know who they are in Christ, that they are complete in Christ. For I testify to him that he has a deep concern for you and to those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. <clears throat> Talk about a team to make disciples with. How about Paul's team, right? Next, we find Luke, um, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. Now, Luke wrote 
about 28% of the New Testament. But his name only occurs in the Bible three times. Uh, this is one of them. And another one is in Philemon. Is in Philemon. And in Philemon, we learn something about Luke. Epaphras, see how familiar these names are because Philemon was from Colossae. My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow worker. So Luke was a disciple maker, someone that Paul could send to make disciples and carry out missions. But in what we learn in Colossians was not only was he a disciple maker, he was a beloved physician. Paul had a physician who loved him and traveled with him. And if you read about Paul's life, if anybody ever needed a physician, it was Paul, right? Because he was always what? He was beaten, shipwrecked, and imprisoned. And to have a doctor traveling with him who took care of him, Paul considered himself very, very blessed. And then we meet Demas. Uh, his name occurs three times in the Bible, twice as an encouragement to Paul, but the third time is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's last letter, he writes in verse 9, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Could anything be sadder sad, than someone who once followed Jesus, loved this world so much that he abandoned Jesus? I believe we're going to face pressures in the future in our country if things continue the way they are that we have not faced before. And I believe it's so important that we learn from Demas that if we suffer for the cause of Christ now, it's short. It's short, and it is nothing compared to eternity. Don't sacrifice Christ in eternity to avoid a short time of suffering now. Listen, we're going to face days where some of us are going to have a choice between Jesus and our job, between Jesus and our profession, between Jesus and the team that we want to be a part of. Choose Jesus, choose Jesus. He's worth suffering for. You know what makes no sense at all? Is that he would suffer for us. But he considered us such treasure that he was willing to suffer for us. So I think it's really, really important we make the decision before we make the decision. The old great hymn says it so well where it says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Is that you? Have you decided? Listen, will you pray for me? In difficult days, will you pray for me that I don't choose this present world over the world to come, will you? And, and listen, I'll, I'll pray for you too, okay? Demas. Um, <clears throat> Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. Now, Nympha could either be a male name or a female name, but obviously the translators of the New American Standard believe that it's a woman, and she has a church that meets in her house. This is the only time her name is mentioned. But what we learn from this is that she is a disciple of Jesus. 
because we believe that a disciple has three great loves. A disciple loves Jesus, and we can tell she loves Jesus because she has a church that meets in her home. And Jesus said if we love him, we'll love his people. And we said disciples love one another, and she loves one another. She has a church meeting in her home. And listen, she loves lost people because she opens her home up to church. And whenever a church gathers, there's always lost people who come. I love what someone said, that no one will believe that you want them in heaven with you until you've had them in your home with you. And so Nipha opened up her home for Jesus, for her brothers and sisters, and for lost people. Will we? So what have we learned so far? We've learned about Paul's fellow workers. We want to make disciples together. That Paul had Jesus, but he had a team of people that was helping him to be a disciple and to be a disciple maker, and we need one too. And so that's why today the, the action step for this week is I want you to team up for disciple making. To team up for disciple making. We do need Jesus, but we do need each other. Let me show you why. Look at verse 16. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. The letter was written for a church. The Bible was written to be read when we gather together. Because something happens when husbands and wives hear God's word together. Something happens when parents and children hear God's word together. Something happens when employers and employees hear God's word together. God has given his church his word and then God has given gifted teachers to teach his word. And that's what Paul says in the next verse. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry, the ministry of the word. Preach the word, teach the word which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. The reason we need a church home is because we need truth. And Jesus has entrusted the truth of his word to his church. Let me show you that in in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to see you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Did you know that the church is the family of God? The church of the living God. The pillar and support of the truth. Uh, do you know there's something missing in our culture today? You know what it is? It's truth, right? Our culture needs truth. You know what? We need truth. That's why we gather together. We gather together and open up the Word of God because we need truth. And before we can give truth to our culture, we need to be filled with the truth ourselves. And so we gather together for truth. We also team up for something else, and that's for grace. Verse 18 I, Paul, write this greeting with you with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Do you know we live in a culture that extends no grace? Have you noticed that? And the reason we need a church is we need a church where we can go to and be filled up with grace so we can go and give it to a graceless culture. I want to show you something. Maybe you've never seen this, but at the start of all of Paul's letters, we have what's called a salutation. The letter begins with grace to you. See that? 
Uh, but notice how they end. It always ends with a benediction. You ever notice at the end of our service, I always say, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. So, so we run to church. We get into God's word to be filled with grace. Ah. And then as we're filled with this grace, we go and we, we give it away. Um, you know what we need? You know what our culture needs? Grace and truth. And you know where you find that? You find that in Jesus, right? I mean, in John chapter 1, Look at this verse. And the word became flesh that dwelt among us. And, and we, you see that we? Something different happens when we see Jesus together. Yes, it's important. We read the Bible personally, and, and I do. But something happens when together we come and we see Jesus. We saw his glory. Glorious of the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Notice, Jesus is a half grace and half truth. He's full of grace. And he's full of truth. And that's what Jesus wants us to be, a people like him, full of grace and full of truth. So there's a marvelous rhythm to the Christian life. On Sundays, on Sundays we gather together to hear God's word so we can fill up with grace and truth. And then we scatter, right? We go. Because our culture desperately needs, Jesus desperately needs grace and truth. And then every morning we get up, right? And we have breakfast with Jesus. Why? Because we need grace and truth. Because our culture needs grace and truth. And we can't give it away if we don't first receive it. So let me ask you, who do you know? Who do you know that desperately needs to hear what we learned about today, that Jesus is full of grace and truth? Won't you go and share with them? This week, this week when you're with people and they're saying, you know, there's so many lies. There's so many lies. I just wish someone would tell me the truth. Won't you share with them? You know what we learned about on Sunday? There is someone who is the truth. His name is Jesus. And his word is true. It's the one place we can go and never be lied to. Listen, when we're with people this week, and they say, I'm so confused. Things that were once wrong are now celebrated, and, and, and things that once were wrong or, or that once were celebrated are, are now wrong. How do I know what to believe? What you hey, you know what we learned in church? We learn that Jesus is the truth. Don't you want to know him? He never changes. Oh, this week when we're with broken people, with broken people, and they say, listen, I've just really messed up. Won't you say, hey, could I share with you what we learned? We learned about grace. Do you know what grace is? Jesus forgives sinners. And then Jesus moves into sinners. And Jesus leads sinners out of their sins. Wouldn't you like help coming out of your sins? Jesus can help you. Oh, dear people, there has never been a better time to be the church of Jesus Christ than today because our culture has never been more truth than grave stars. We have exactly what our culture needs. That's why it's so important we team up, that we team up to make disciples, that we run to Jesus and we fill up with grace and truth. And then we go and we give them away. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to reconcile sinners. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for rising. Listen, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in him, won't you? He's here. Won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. 
And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my savior and forgive me, give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, won't you? If you've done that, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, we're so thankful you're full of grace and truth. We're so thankful that you've left your church here on earth. And Lord, I pray that we would team up to make disciples, that we would learn to run to you in worship and to run to you each day and fill up with grace and truth. And Lord, I pray that you would send us out this week to share the grace of truth of Jesus Christ with a culture that is so starved for grace and truth. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.